People have used up my time. <laughs> great is the Lord. Great are you, Lord. I wanted to finish right there and get into it. He's great, great and greatly to be praised. Amazing, amazing God. Look, can I just pray for a minute and settle myself down <laughs> a little bit? Jesus, 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 we just love you this morning. We know that all things are by you and through you and to you and for you. And we give you the praise. We give you the glory. We just love you this morning. May these words go forth, Lord, and bless. May these words go forth and touch hearts, minds, and spirit. Lord, I'm just your servant. I want to be a channel of your blessing. Bless, Lord Jesus, we pray. Bless, we pray. Speak blessing over this whole church. Joy, blessing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The title of my talk was a talk. I hate that word. Word. The title of my word was actually when Jesus came to town. And last week, not last week, the week before, I spoke about when he actually came to town and what happened. And we discovered, or I discovered and imparted, that society was very, very different, was very, very wild, lots of cultural influences, lots of religions, lots of philosophies. It was all a big mishmash, but the, the Lord God in his wisdom brought Jesus into our world at exactly the right time. And the reason he came at that time was to fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies that had been prophesied about his coming. And as we know, there's probably, I think it's more than 200 in the Old Testament, and each one was fulfilled down to the absolute letter, um, which, of course, the Lord God knew. When Jesus came in his ministry, he proposed and lived a very different life and very different parameters than to what was happening in the world at the time. He proposed a lot of changes, change of allegiance. Up until that point, people would just gave, gave their allegiance to the government or the leader or the Caesar or whoever was in charge. But he proposed, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God's. In other words... Right there, we had separation of church and state. Right there in that single statement. And I have found in, in researching this that his very simple statements that he gave just like that, actually, suddenly, you can see how down the ages it has formed the basis of where we are now. What I actually want to say in a bigger picture is how, when Jesus came to town, the things that he did affected Western culture. And I'll get further into this in a minute. Change of expectation. People expected to live. Life was tough. They died. That was it. Maybe they had a little bit of religion along the way, a little bit of philosophy along the way, whatever. But Jesus gave hope. Hope not only of a different lifestyle, a different way of living, but a hope for the future. Because he talked about the kingdom of heaven. He talked about what happened afterwards, what came next. This is a recap, by the way, of what I did two weeks ago. Change of values. Life was cheap in those days. Life was tough. Life was hard. But he brought a value to life that hadn't been there before. Justice. Justice. Justice depended on who was in charge at the time and what they happened to think. 
but he brought an overarching justice that came from God his Father. Mercy, holiness, forgiveness, very different concepts to what was happening in the world at the time. When he spoke to people, he responded in love, which again was very strange. Nobody responded in love. People were just, people were, people had no value. But he responded in love. Everyone he spoke to, he spoke in love. His overarching reason for approaching people was always in love. He released people to a higher quality of life. He never left anybody the same. If you go through the stories in the, in the New Testament, in um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go through the stories, you'll find that everyone he touched came out different. Yeah. If they so choose, chose. There was the odd one who didn't, but that was their choice. He rattled religious cages. He wasn't interested in the form. He wasn't interested in the do's and the don'ts. He wasn't interested in the pharisaical laws, which added to stuff. You can't do this on the Sabbath, etc., etc. We know the stories. He broke that mold. He broke all of that. He wasn't interested in that. And he revealed a new standing, a new understanding, sorry, of who God is through himself, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That was the intro. <laughs> the major changes, the major areas that he brought change reverberated throughout the Western world. And I talked two weeks ago about three of them. One being race and ethnicity, no Jew nor Greek. Slave or free. Status, being slave, being free or not, is a human construction. God never sees people that way. God sees people as individual, worthy individuals. Male nor female. Boy, have we suffered from that one. I'll talk more about that down the track. In transforming people personally, eventually he transformed society, systems, powers and authorities, governments and laws. Eventually. took a long, long time and we're still not there yet as we know. But in the upholding of, these, of justice, human rights, the value of the individual, his kingdom did not involve a political restoration of the nation of Israel, but a heavenly kingdom. And that heavenly kingdom consisted of the hearts of the people. That's what he was after. That's what he wanted. That's what he ministered to. The second part where I am today is when Jesus came to town part two. A look at what the Western world gained from Christianity and the long-term effects of Jesus' teaching. I know that's a huge topic, huge topic, and we could be here for a year, but I won't be. It's all right. I do have my eye on the watch. <clears throat> no part of the pre-Christian world produced anything like the moral, spiritual, or intellectual basis on which the concept of people as individuals stood. While he was not a political preacher, his teachings over time did have revolutionary political consequences. I just want to read a little quote. This came from the Word and Life Bible. It's entitled, How Christianity Has Affected Secular History, which was exactly my topic. And when I found that, I thought, yes, that's it. Thank you, Lord. 
what would life be like if Christ had not come and Christianity had not spread throughout the world? It would most likely be very different. Although Greece gave Western civilization art, philosophy and literature, and Rome provided law and government, it was the Christian worldview that provided the basis for things like modern science, efforts to alleviate poverty, education universally, the ideals of equality and liberty enshrined in the documents of many governments. The God of order and beauty provided for that, that view that nature was predictable and orderly. Therefore, so is he. The Christian belief that humanity is a creation of God gave the foundation to the evident truth of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we know well that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, where that led to, which is really good in an ideal. Since people are made in the image of God, they are valuable apart from their station in life, the amount of wealth they have, or their usefulness to society. People have been helped, educated, and protected simply because they are made in God's image. Now, I know that's a, a huge overarching statement, and 2,000 years have gone by, but I hope you can hear where I'm coming from, that Jesus Christ, our beloved Jesus, started it off. I'll talk just a little bit about um, the male-female thing. I talked about it two weeks ago, but I'll just go quickly over it again. Life was very rough for women in those days, as, as I think you will understand. And Christianity from the start offered a much better deal for women and girls. Previously, there was things like forced marriage, infanticide, especially of girls. Women were treated as possessions, either of their father, their master, their husband, their brother, whoever happened to be around, they were the property of. And of course, sadly, we still see that in some cultures on the earth today. It was the early church that taught that marriage was a, a mutual and loving relationship. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church, he said. Imagine that, what difference that made. That was such a revolutionary statement where previously, in normal society, it existed at the time, women were just belonged to somebody else. I'm going to skip quite because I need to skip. An interesting quote came from Pope Benedict in 2005. The close connection between eros, meaning physical love, and marriage has practically no equivalent in literature outside of the Bible. Now we know in our society today there's an awful lot of eros actually going on out there. We only need to look at the television or the newspaper. But how much of it is actually related to marriage? It's just... I won't go there, but... I'll read that again. The close connection between eros, physical love, and marriage has practically no equivalent in literature outside of the Bible. We could preach on that one for a year, but we won't. My second thought of, of the way Jesus changed society is in the area of human rights. 
As I've said before, in ancient civilization, the father was the head of the household, almost God in his own right, and he could treat his wife, family, slaves, whoever, however he liked. Mostly, one way or another, everybody belonged to somebody else. Everybody was somebody else's property. They were slaves, they were workers, they were wives, they were sisters, they were children, belonged to somebody else. The entire mentality of the ancient world rested on inequality stemming from where you were born and who you were born to. Christianity challenged and changed this view tremendously. And in, over the centuries, that has gathered, gathered force to where we came to eventually the abolition of slavery. And that was only 170 years ago. Took a long, long time. The universal laws founded, founded on equality actually gave birth to the modern state. I know this is heavy stuff, but that's what it is. The most revolutionary statement in the ancient world in favour of human rights, and of course extrapolated by Jesus, came from Genesis. The idea that men and women were created in the likeness of God, having a free will and a free spirit. Way back in Genesis it was said. The, secondly, the very concept of God becoming a human being in Jesus Christ our Lord, for those who believed, elevated the understanding of what humanity actually was. Here was a man who was fully God, but also fully human at the same time. Universalism, or that is meaning rights available to all, arose from the belief that the human condition required a unique encounter between God and man, that each was created in his image possessed an immortal soul, and was able to reconnect with him. Slaves were considered they didn't even have a soul. They didn't, they just did what they did. This was a revolutionary view, which ultimately had revolutionary consequences. As we've said before, the founding of America. Unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's everyone. Of course, that hasn't always been straightforward either. But in Jesus, things that he said, simple things, love your neighbor. You've heard people say, love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemies as well. Build your house upon the rock. In, in junk, spiritual injunctions to, to individual people and to the world at large. I'm moving on. Thirdly, the free will of the individual. Right from the start, Christianity insisted that all had immortal destinies. Through teaching and example, Jesus insisted that each was responsible for their own lives and souls before God. Go and sin no more, he said to the woman caught in adultery. Your faith has made you whole, he said to the woman who touched him. Individual Touching, individual responsibility, individual to responsibility to what happened next. And right from the start, Christian communities lived much better lives than the rest of society. They lived together. They shared everything. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Very simple, but very clear. And he meant others 
everybody, not just those on the same social strata as, as you think you are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbour as yourself. Very simple, very clear, but so much contained within it. Paul continually stated later on in, in his letters that communities should be based on love for one another, on care and concern. And the writings of Paul were critical in the foundation and development of the early church. While human efforts to apply these teachings had been diverse and often very imperfect, as we know, over time, the Christian principles have influenced and shaped people, behavior, motivations, societies, and values. Which brings me to my next topic, values. The values of a kingdom reflect what matters to the king. And as we've said before, previously it was whoever happened to be in charge made the rules, made the laws, and you obeyed or you got some part of your anatomy chopped off. What matters to our king? Very different. We are new creations, we are new characters, and he changed the concepts of people's behavior. He came to fulfill the law. He obeyed the laws and the prophets, but he came to fulfill it. I looked up the word fulfill, and it says in the dictionary, to achieve something promised or predicted. To achieve something promised or predicted. The laws and the prophets were there set in stone, but he went way beyond that. In the development of Christianity as a force, groups of believers stood apart from their own culture, their own values, and their own beliefs. And to an increasing extent, of course, we're doing that more and more now, because in many ways now it's come full circle and we are on the back foot. Let's not be on the back foot. Round, in the, on a world view... We actually are, but I won't go there. That's another topic. The key to survival in society was not surrender to prevailing standards of culture, but developing a Christ-like character. How different is that? How diametrically opposed is that? Don't be like the world. Develop Christ-like character and operate from an entirely different motivation. Paul's most famous passage on love, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant, love bears all things, I'm paraphrasing, hopes all things, endures all things, it is the greatest of all three. Easy to say, very easy to say, but not so easy to act out and work out in your life. Here's another quote from, strangely enough, a novel that, that I read. It's called The Journey West, and it's about the wagon trains, etc. But in it, there's a character who is a, a minister, and he was talking one night to, to one of the young people, and he said, Every nation in history, without exception, has been founded on some theistic, that's God, or anti-theistic, that's anti-God, foundation. From the ancient pagan nations of Egypt, Babylonia, Syria, and Rome, 
to the modern nations of today. And out of those theistic or anti-theistic foundations grows a set of ethics or morals from which legislation is enacted. George Washington said it best, it would be impossible to govern this nation, referring of course to the United States, without God and the Ten Commandments. It is from those roots that our Constitution grew. And I picked that out and I thought, oh, thank you, Lord, that's a goodie. That's, that's exactly what I'm, what I'm trying to say of the foundation of the Western world. And if you go back through all the major um, countries and all the major cultures in the Western world, you will find it's been the same. Initially established on the Word of God. Initially established on the ethics, morals from the Bible. How far we've come, eh? Fifthly, or is it five? Yeah, five. The welfare state. Well, in Jesus' day, it wasn't the welfare state, of course. It was concern for the poor. But this was, again, an entirely different concept. Nobody cared about the poor. Nobody cared about the handicapped or the, those who couldn't do what everybody else could do. They just as Miriam said, waited by the pool of Bethesda for something to happen. Metaphorically speaking, there were a lot of people waiting by the pool of Bethesda. But along came the Lord Jesus, inasmuch as you do it to the least of these, my brethren, you do it unto me. Be kind, be helpful, be loving, lift up, as you have seen me, Jesus, do. With their concern for the poor... The Christian churches instated what was, in effect, the first welfare state. The early monks, in particular, wrote about and demonstrated great care and concern for the poor and people in general, urging others to receive them as Christ. This, of course, eventually became social justice. It took a long, long, long time, and we're still not there. But today, of course, we have established institutional helpers like the Salvation Army and others who do that very job. But do you hear what I'm saying? It started with Jesus. It started with, inasmuch as you have done to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. The motivation was, do, you are doing it unto me. I am in the place of see people as I do with compassionate heart. Experimental science. Now, I'm going to skip over this really quickly, but I found this one interesting. I was reading a book, obviously. I've got this out of a book. I didn't think this one up. <laughs> Experimental science was born in the West in the late Middle Ages as a consequence of two specific Christian doctrines. One, God created the universe and it was orderly. See, previous to that, yes, there was science out there. The Arabs had it and the Chinese had it and the Indians had it. But it was kind of a set mathematical... I'm not very good at this... <coughs> process by which it remained the same. 
things were capricious. In other words, lesser gods acted in creation, and they created mischief. There was the god of the trees, the god of the sky, the god of the sea, the god of the wall. And when things bad things happened, it was just the god having a hissy fit. The god of the mountain caused a volcano. The god of a hurricane caused a hurricane. You've read stories about this. And they still exist, of course, in primitive, primitive cultures. But God created the universe, and it was orderly. Suddenly, there was a different concept on that. Western science was born because of an attempt to discover the workings of God's laws in nature. It's like they, the cultures out there all worshipping the creation and thinking there were capricious gods leaping about doing naughty things. But step up. The creator is there. Having made things the way he did, and it was good. It was orderly. And in an attempt to work out how this happened, we had the most fa the famous scientists way back, the Galileos and the Copernicus and all those famous people doing immense work, which has led to the place we're at now. I've covered all that. Finally, advances in higher culture. Who would have thought this, this also came out of the same book that I was reading called God is Good for You? If you see it, grab it. That's a goodie. Advances in higher culture. I never thought of this. Music. Music was created to praise God. Way back. To praise and worship him. And of course, later it came down to the most wonderful harmonies and melodies and things that were um, written down. Bach and people like that. My husband knows more about this than I do. Same with theatre. How did theatre begin? Theatre began by groups of actors acting out Bible stories for the illiterate. For those who could not read, they could see the Bible stories and acted out in street theatre, in um, amphitheatres, in, in any place. They could see the stories and understand them. That is how theatre began. Look how far we've come with that one. Literature. Christians, especially monks, wrote, writing about the lives of the saints in the local languages. That's where it started. Early Western universities were all Christian and made their contribution to innovation, progress, and positive change. I realize I've skipped over that and gone very fast, and it's a whole lot to take in. I'm now coming to the end. Though your people who have lived in darkness will see a great light, the kingdom of heaven will soon be here, Turn back to God. Israel's king was a king for all nations. It was foretold. His kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is to do with the hearts of the people. The kingdom began with his coming and will continue to advance to the day of his return. 
The original leaders who he appointed were not top people. They weren't top recruits. They were ordinary people who believed and who were empowered by God. The apostles themselves were often weak, embarrassing. They fell asleep. They denied him. They competed amongst themselves. They weren't perfect. But despite their shortcomings, he kept them on, kept working with them, empowered them that Christianity might spread and be enlarged throughout the world. And it did. It began to prevail as the dominant philosophy and social force in the Roman world and spread out to the, the complete known world at the time. Many churches were planted. Engagement with the world was his desire, not isolation. Think about that one. Here's another quote with which I'm almost finished. The deep consensus underlying Western liberal political systems, almost all of the assumptions we think are good in our political culture, from human rights, separate church and state, the recognition of an individual's discretionary realm where the government has no business, human conscience, the most basic idea of human dignity, all come, more or less, directly from Christianity. So what defines the West? The principle that the individual is endowed with dignity, is entitled to respect, and has inalienable human rights. One of Christianity's great strengths is continually coming back to the scriptures for inspiration. It's always there. It's always the plumb line. It's always where to come back to. It never fails, never varies. No matter what the culture, the message is clear. All foundations of modern states, individual rights, social justice, and secular politics were direct result of Christian teaching and practice, none of which was found in the ancient world. The Christian concept of God through Jesus provided the foundation. Christian moral beliefs emerge as the ultimate source of social revolution. It has made the West what it is. When Jesus came to town, he changed everything.